Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, episode 29. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, where we are building profitable food businesses, one product, one process, one thought at a time. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannensteel. Hello, my fellow foodpreneurs. We are going to jump right into the podcast today. And if you stick around, I'm going to totally blow your mind with the offer that we are creating after this podcast. So I want you to know that today is the first of a two-part episode around decision-making and failure. Okay, so decide right now you're going to listen to both episodes because that's how you're going to get the most out of it. And I'm doing this because I have been around people for, you know, a long time. I think I'm turning 45 this summer. And I have, I have noticed uh, in my own household and with my employees and with my clients and with myself, people mostly hate to make decisions. They hate the constraint that comes with decisions. I was talking with a client recently and she cannot, for love or money, decide on her recipe. She wants me to tell her the perfect recipe so she can make $2,000 a month selling her products. Folks, we live in a world where you can, and people do, buy pre-made sugar-free jello molds with fat and sugar-free whipped topping. And as a matter of fact, more people buy that at the supermarket than buy this woman's product. Why is that? Well, because this woman will not make a decision on her what, what her recipe should be. And she ain't going to sell a blessed thing without that. One of the worst things you can do as an entrepreneur is stay in indecision. It will ruin you. I've seen it ruin people faster than anything else. FDA come knocking on your door, deciding to do nothing is a very good way to get them back in there to shut you down. Of course, if you listen to Rush, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. But choosing indecision creates a choice with a lot of mental baggage and a lot of sleepless nights, right? So try this thought on for size. Decisions are neutral. There are no good or bad decisions. There are decisions that have results that we don't want, but what we want is totally subjective. If you look at the worst terrors that have visited the world by people, someone, somewhere, thought they were a good idea. They thought it would make them happy, and they didn't stop to think about the consequences in the long term. So before we all dive into worst case scenarios, which is like what everybody likes to do to avoid thinking about their own lives, Let's take a fictional example. We're reading Harry Potter right now in our house for like the umpteenth time. And we're in the middle of book five and the Dementors have gone over to Voldemort and the 10 Death Eaters have broken out of Azkaban. You all know what I'm talking about in book five, right? And so here's a totally fun fact. As I was writing this, Harry Potter is such a part of our lexicon that I totally got spell checked on Azkaban. So, if you are Harry, Hermione, Neville, and any of the Weasley kids still at Hogwarts or anyone in the Order of the Phoenix, 
you think that it was a bad decision on the part of Prime Minister Fudge to not pay attention to Dumbledore, right? But if you look about if you if, if you look at it, at first, none of the other students even care. And they don't care until they have thoughts about it. Um, couple of pages later, Dumbledore cares, but he's unconcerned, really, because he's already made a decision about what he's going to do. And the Minister of Magic sticks by his decision. And what he thought of it, in hindsight, though, is lost to fictional history. But the Harry Potter wiki judges him pretty badly. And being the least effective Minister of Magic ever is probably not the result Fudge was going for. But did you ever stop to consider maybe Fudge was okay with that decision for a very long time because to him, the possibility that Voldemort came back under his watch was so much worse. It's like coming home at night after a trip and turning on the lights in the kitchen and realizing your spoused into a lick of dishes while you were gone and the whole place is covered in cockroaches. You can turn the lights out but the dishes and the cockroaches remain, right? Ignoring those dishes makes them crusty and gross and a breeding down for ground for bugs. And in the Harry Potter universe, Voldemort came back. It's already happened. Deciding not to do something doesn't change history. You gotta decide. And what stops people is that they think that one decision or the other will make them happy. But what if you knew that your life was going to be amazing, no matter what you choose? Then that really takes the weight off of the decision. You just decide and you move on. You put your decision into effect and you execute with massive action and you just be done with it. You don't let indecision let you down because you know your life is going to be 50-50 either way. And if you don't make decisions, it not it going to be 80-20 kind of bad to good? Isn't 50-50 like way better than feeling bad 80% of the time? Like only feeling bad 50% of the time seems like a super big improvement, don't you think? If you keep yourself in indecision, you're never going to go anywhere. And folks, I have news for you. If you're you are going to be miserable in indecision, so why not upgrade to like merely uncomfortable in massive action? In our example there, sure, Fudge would have been uncomfortable, but he'd have at least been dealing in reality, right? And I often tell people improving your life is like imagining yourself out there riding a horse. A lot of people who follow me are in agriculture because they're trying to figure out value-added production. So stay with me here on this horse analogy. To ride your horse, you have to get to the barn, right? So you drive or walk, kind of depending, and you walk in and it's early morning and it's kind of cold. You go say good morning to your girl and look at her stall. Yep, it needs cleaning. So you grab a wheelbarrow and a pitchfork and you head to her stall. You slip a lead rope and a halter over her head and you throw the rope over her back so she kind of stays still. She's pretty well trained, right? She's good enough. You don't need to tie her, but you still kind of want her to know who's in charge, right? So you start to clean and pick the stall 
and you have to reach your hand into the water bucket and pull out what seems like an entire flake of hay. Doesn't she know how expensive that was? <laughs> and that's really uncomfortable and it's cold and it's wet, but you do it anyway. So you get the whole stall cleaned and it looks lovely and comfortable and smells good. You dump the wheelbarrow and you turn around and you survey your work. Are you ready to ride yet? Hell no! You're ready to groove and tack up, friend! So you bring your mare out and you tie her in the cross ties. You get your grooming box and you go over every inch of her. And you swat her when she objects to being brushed out in her armpits. You know those mirrors I'm talking about, right? You pick up her feet and you pick them out and look for rocks and stones and bruises and make sure all her shoes are still on. You brush her tangly, tangly tail. And then you throw the, bladle, the, the, the blanket and the saddle pad and the saddle on her back. You take off her halter and you put on her bridle. Are you ready to ride yet? No, you're still not ready to ride. However, you are ready to mount up, right? But you can see all the decisions that you had to get, to make to get to that mounting block, right? Your first decision was, I'm gonna go to the barn and ride. And you had this thought that you were gonna ride and it was gonna make you happy. And so you were willing to do anything to feel that happy. Like stick your hand in a cold water bucket in the morning to fish out all the hay, right? If you start in decision, in indecision, you're going to be miserable. It's okay. It's like, it's like deciding never to go to the barn and longing for your horse anyway. If you say, well, maybe I'm going to go to the barn and maybe I'm not going to go to the barn. Like you're not actually going to the barn and you're miserable anyway because you're pining for your horse because you know life is so much better when you're riding. And it's terrible when you're not. Okay, and maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but I know some really crazy horse people and have been one myself. <laughs> so many of you are afraid to decide because you're afraid you're going to make the wrong choice. But if you separate out the choice itself from your thoughts about how that choice is going to make you feel, deciding is going to become fast and easy. Your life is going to be amazing either way decide and never look back. You can have an amazing day when you don't go to the barn and you can have an amazing day when you do go to the barn. But wait, 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 Dr. P, you're gonna say, what happens if your choice leads to a result you don't want? Well, this happens a lot, right? But it mostly happens when we're deciding with our primitive brain in the moment. But it isn't the choice itself. If you are choosing from your primitive brain, you're choosing without the end results in mind. You're making spur of the moment decisions. You're making decisions outside of protocols. Choices of, um, you're, making, you're making choices off of your time protocols, your drink or your food protocols. For those unfamiliar, I'm just gonna divert here for a second, protocols are the recipe books for your life, and I have tons of them. I have them for food, for alcohol, for time, for sleep, for sales, for calls. Protocols are how I constrain my life and make decisions ahead of time. Making decisions ahead of time is constraining, and that is totally amazing. And it leads to way less mental exhaustion. It's all about deciding about the life you want and going out and getting the results for it. Having the life you want is about 
deciding the life you want. It's all microeconomics, folks. It's thousands of individual choices. You can either make those choices from a place of power or you can make them on the fly. I suggest that you make them ahead of time and fit them into a protocol. And protocols abound, people. There are tons of people out there who are willing to trade you money to tell you how to run your life. I don't do that around here. I think that you know how to run your life and you just need some help finding the answers in you. Because the best protocols are the ones you come up with for yourself. A yoga teacher once had us practice the mantra, I know what to do when I do it. Sure, I can totally tell you how I've lost weight, how I stopped drinking, how I scaled my business. But what works for me in the minutia of that how really might not work for you. You could eat the same thing that I eat and you might gain weight. But you know what does work for everybody? Deciding ahead of time and going all in. How do you know if you're all in? Well, imagine this. You're able to give an interview with someone and be so self-confident that your results was already in your life, you'd be able to tell them exactly what you're doing to create it. It'd be like committing to losing 100 pounds forever, no questions asked, and then after losing like 40 pounds, going on YouTube and telling everyone about your transformation in a bikini and loving it even though you're uncomfortable. That is owning your transformation. Decide, go all in, and never ever look back. Okay, so next week we are going to talk about the how of what you do once you commit and go all in. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. So I totally want you to tune in. And I want to announce actually a new offer on the power group because I have so many people telling me, oh my God, it's such a good idea, but, but, but. All right, so here's the deal. If you are a solopreneur in the food business, you know you want to take this work deeper. I got you people, okay? I've totally got you. You can join the power group for a dollar in the first 14 days, okay? It's a dollar, folks. All the food safety templates I have, weekly coaching calls in May, so coming up in a couple of days, we're doing a meat and poultry HACCP class, and I will totally include the meat and poultry HACCP class as part of your um, power group membership. It is totally all included. You have no reasons not to join. It's a buck for the first 14 days, my friends, and if you don't love it, you totally don't have to stay. But... Be really careful with the decision to leave because you can you could join for 14 days, you can download every single solitary template and say, cancel my membership, and then you don't get to come back for a year, okay? So decide, go all in. Whether the decision is yes or no, I don't care. Go all in on the decision. Transform your life. Have a great week, everybody. You've been listening to Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele on the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast. We hope you loved the show. For more information and show notes, please find us at sfbdi.com. Thanks for listening.